at one point in the past, I was thinking about the connection between instruments and identity and the music which exists naturally within a particular instrument. So take, for example, a violin has a kind of an identity and it has a kind of music that exists within it. A guitar has a different life within it. A bass guitar has a different life within it. And I realized that when I pick up these different instruments, there's a uh, a connection, there's a resonance. And the resonance is actually more powerful from the instrument. The instrument is changing me in some way. So when I'm playing the guitar, I'm a different person than when I'm playing the bass. I'm a different person when I'm playing the piano. Uh, Multi-instrumentalists probably understand this. They probably can't identify that factor, but that's definitely what's happening. There's there's a different attitude that comes with instruments that uh, you have to surrender to. Uh, when I'm playing the piano, especially with a piano sound, I'm playing pianistically, uh, and my body is adjusting to its form, and uh, the the form is changing me in kind of a reciprocity, kind of a feedback loop. And it's a matter, definitely a matter of surrender when you play different instruments. You can approach them in different ways because the tactile nature or what's required from the person to play the instrument is changing them cognitively. Uh, drummers understand music in a different way because because that instrument has a certain kind of music that has to be attended to. You can't, well, I was going to say you can't play it melodically, but you certainly can approach drums melodically, and it's what I prefer, actually. It's what I like in a drummer is that they can merge with whatever's happen, happening in the music, uh, essentially just paying more attention to what's happening in the music and reacting at an intuitive level rather than forcing something into the music. Uh, but what I understand from playing drums, I don't personally play drums, but I understand what might be happening is that there's just so much that the brain has to pay attention to uh, in terms of multiple things going on. Uh, listening is just another level. It's another thing that has to be done. And so there's a complexity there that doesn't exist in other instruments. So I understand that. But it's it's something that the musician probably has to practice uh, and for drummers probably to listen more to what's happening with the other instruments. And it's what happens in, a, in an orchestra. You know, orchestral music is scored. It's on a score and there's a conductor that has to interpret it. But each individual player also has to be listening to what's going on because the conductor is bringing up a dynamic in one instrument group and maybe lowering it in another to get a blend. And, uh, and, the, and the player himself or herself has to also adjust on their own in order to go for the gestalt, the, uh, the totality of it. So what you have in, in an orchestra is that in terms of the instruments being worlds in themselves, 
all of these different uh, uh, collaborations between the musician and and their instrument is bringing this uh, uh, kind of a spirituality is the term I would use. Yesterday I read an article. It was about the. Uh, it was it was titled Quantum Music, and there was a part in there where they seem to have found a correlation between subatomic particles uh, and their effect on on actual sound. And I would think that quantum music probably is more probable with symphonic music. I don't want to say classical because that would tend to corrupt the whole idea of it because when you say classical music, people have a frame that they resort to. I would just say polyphonic, symphonic sound, which can be an ensemble of traditional instruments or it can be ensembles or of whatever. It's better to think of it in traditional terms because uh, the actual instruments create sound in a different way than electronic music. Electronic music relies on loudspeakers and there can be a lot of variation in loudspeakers and, and, and the way that the waves, sound waves interact coming from from speakers as opposed to instruments. So anyway, I mean, the riff on this is the connection between the world of the instrument and the world of the instrumentalist. Sound itself can become its own instrument. There's been other videos that I've done where I've talked about scoring for sound. And this seems to be the new way that we're moving forward with music because sound is becoming removed or dissociated or disconnected from the instrument. So this whole process started with um, synthesizers, which could approximate sounds of other instruments, and then sampling moved it farther on uh, to actually sound like the instruments. They were recordings of the instruments. And now it's become so perfected that sometimes we can't tell the difference between uh, sampled orchestral sounds and the actual orchestras. So now uh, in, the, in the pandemic world, in the post-pandemic world, where uh, symphonic musicians have to think about how to evolve and adapt to, to this new circumstance, I think we're moving towards uh, music just being sound and it doesn't necessarily have to be associated with particular instruments. There's both good and bad aspects to it. I think it's it's something that is uh, in some ways uh, sad that we can't uh, embody ourselves or merge together with instruments anymore. We're kind of separated. The, the man and machine merging is moving in the oper opposite direction is something that we're going to have to slough off uh, in the future is that the connection with the instrument. This is exciting to me because I always like the idea of, say I'm playing my bass or say I'm playing my guitar, you can make that sound as a different instrument. I like the idea of playing the piano on my bass. I like the idea of playing a saxophone on the guitar. And, of course, keyboards can be anything. You know, the keytar uh, 
the the synth guitar sound is uh you know been used a long time and i've used it uh where you're playing guitar lines on the keyboard uh, it it sounds like a guitar but it can't exactly be a guitar because there's a different physicality to it um a lot of times musicians will simply play violin parts on a keyboard just using a violin sound and then one that's transcribed it couldn't possibly be playable by an actual violin and the question becomes well does it matter um does it matter how a violin player is going to play this because the audience isn't going to tell the difference it just sounds like a violin you know i think it's exciting because you can play different kinds of music out of the ranges so now with a violin uh its range can't go below the open g string uh, all strings have their limitations based on the open strings so it's nice that we can sometimes extend those and the people just you can't tell the difference uh, as it relates to ranges, um, I think it's something uh, which we now can pay more attention to because I think what I've what I've noticed a lot in bands is that uh, the bass and the guitar are sharing a lot of the same range, and it just becomes really muddy. I think now that we can kind of we have more wiggle room in terms of changing the harmonic series within the sounds we're using within the within the uh, octave ranges that we're using, there's more sonic possibilities. That way we don't have to have things that are sharing the same frequency ranges and the same, the same octaves, so we won't have to have muddy music. We can have music that can coexist in that same area. So you can have contrapuntal lines played by... Um, guitar players playing in the low range of their instrument and bass players playing basically the same in the same range. Um, so that's one of the, the benefits of deracinating or dis, disconnecting the instrument from its limitations. Now, if playing music is a matter of reaction, which I believe it is, at least in the performance of music, either for a live performance or in a recording, you're always reacting to whatever is there. And every musician understands that there has to be this balance between playing the music and listening to the music. It takes a lot of practice because you have to keep reminding yourself to kind of tune in to what's going on around you and play the appropriate part. Um, in jazz, it's something that becomes uh, automatic over time because in order for the music to be listenable to yourself, you have to be playing the things that make it listenable. And the problem is, and I understand it, is that your, your brain is so busy in playing the music that you can't really step outside of it to see it in context with everything else. And... This is a matter probably that should be answered by uh, neuroscientists and people that study the brain in terms of what ha what's happening when, when the brain is multitasking 
And music is the primary way to look at multitasking because listening and playing are two different tasks. But they have to be one. They have to be done simultaneously, satisfactorily, in order for the music to really be good. Um, Now, like I said, this is more of a thing with live performance, but in a lot of ways, even recording a part in a recording is a live performance. Even though you can do many takes, what is going to eventually be mixed is going to sound like it was a live performance. It's the illusion that recordings give us, and it's the illusion that films give us as well, is that it becomes kind of a reality when it really is kind of artifice. Um, And so this is something that takes on a different dimensionality. Now, dimensionality was one of the terms that was used in a podcast that I listened to this morning with uh, between Marianne Williamson and Jean Huston. And she was talking about dimensionality in a spiritual sense. And I think that's a good way to describe it. It's, it's a multidimensionality in which the brain has to move to a kind of a, a flow state, uh, a calm flow state in which the musician really is being more played by the instrument. And uh, I've had that experience with, experience with a lot of live music that I've seen over the years where it just started to have this spiritual quality where that you seem like the the musicians were playing on this different level it seems to have have happened more with jazz i think where it just kind of reached this really screaming plateau it just the musicians started this tension and release thing that was kind of an engine it's the only way that i can describe it it's that you have this continuum going between tension and release, and it starts this circular motion of expectation and a non-release of expectation, more tension and more tension, and then finally release at the same time. It's really a, a really great experience. And uh, it's something that I've always wanted to bring from jazz into pop music to where there would be these a combination between song structure and improvisation. And I always thought that David Bowie did that really well because he understood that there was this secret sauce between having things that are composed like a song that has a song form and improvising within that space. Now this goes against the idea of the the uh, tribute band or cover bands that play music that sounds exactly like the record. There can't be any kind of flow within that, even though the flow might have been in the creative process during the recording sessions. It, it, they're trying to duplicate that point in time, and I don't think it's really possible, which is the reason that you know, when you see these the real bands playing their real music, uh, it sounds, a lot of times, it sounds more like an improvisation, even though sometimes the, uh, like the guitar solos are kind of played verbatim. Uh, David Gilmore usually would play more scored kind of solos, which I think the 
the audience expected and liked. And I think it worked pretty well because he kind of really, he made them seem new every time he played them. Uh, it wasn't like there were almost different kinds of music. It was He was playing them uh, loosely. And I think uh, it's nice if you can get to that kind of level in an ensemble where it's combination of scored and improvised. In terms of reacting to what's already there, uh, which also relates to uh, visual art as well, I'm sure everybody has heard an artist talk about uh, the fact that they're reacting to whatever is in front of them, whatever is on the canvas, and we see all these images of artists in their studios just simply gazing at the canvas, figuring out what's next in the, in the sequence and how this is going to move towards its resolution. But what I was thinking about in terms of context, uh, live context during a performance or a recording, is getting the music to a place where it's comfortable for the player to react to. So take, for instance, an example would be uh, creating a good headphone mix for a singer. It makes a world of difference. It makes a world of difference what's being perceived by the ears and the way that the performer is performing. Uh, a while back, I had uh, been doing some recording. It was just me talking and I had this idea and I wanted to get it down. And so I had my headphones on and I think I was listening to music or some other program. And the quality of the voice was so different. It was, was louder because I was approximating my voice based upon circumstances. I had headphones on my ear and the, uh, the volume was at a certain level and I had to uh, talk over that and then when I listened back to it it had a different quality to it and uh, it really matters what's being perceived and what's being played in response to that so I think that's a good thing to explore uh, in terms of making a sound and reacting to tone now you always talk about we always hear uh, guitar players and bass players and anybody that plays through amps they're always talking about getting the right tone because t tone and feel really makes a big difference in the sound I noticed that uh, there's a big difference between an instrument that is cold uh, and an instrument that is warm so when the instrument is all warmed up uh, especially you know basses and guitars is that when they get warm the, the wood changes and then the the gap between the the action of the strings between the uh the the finger and the fingerboard changes and that makes a big difference in in how it creates tone and how the tone is being created uh through the amp so i think this is a good application for artificial intelligence to have it determine what the the best tone is so you recreate this world or this training set of sounds that you like and then when you're playing it finds those sounds and, and it makes those approximations or you can run it 
uh, on final mixes in your your master bus uh, to create this kind of warmth that's learned from other music that you've done. So it creates a characteristic. It makes you, you, in sonic terms. In terms of levels of attention at the tactile level, I think we can perform better if our attention is diverted in some way, that our mind is placed elsewhere and then the music kind of steps in on its own. Um, I think we all remember, even just a year ago, there was this craze with spinners where you would just kind of spin something in, in your other hand and it would uh, just put something in the background It would help you think uh, and would help you perform better. I think that's very much how people use music. They get, can get into some kind of a flow if they have music on in the background. The music becomes kind of the spinner. It's the thing that uh, just kind of runs in the background. Uh, it's like white noise. There's cognitive white noise, and it doesn't necessarily have to be sound. It's just this background thing that's kind of comforting us, and, and, uh, and then we can just go about our business and probably do a lot a much better job at whatever we're doing because it takes us out of our uh, analysis paralysis mode. It takes us out of, out of us out of the amygdala and into perhaps the frontal lobe or in other areas of the brain that are more effective. And, uh, you know, it goes back to the, the microdosing thing or using nootropics. That's kind of a background thing too in order to take our attention off that nagging little area, that monkey mind area, and into the flow areas of the brain. Everything in life is sort of getting on a level. In music, it's definitely getting on a level. It's getting to the level where, like I was saying with the spinner, the spinner is in the background. It's the chord changes. You know the song. You know the piece of music. You've learned it so well and that that's the spinner that goes on in the background. And then on top of that, you can just sort of surf. You can surf over the waves of the music. Now, that's ideal. It doesn't usually happen that way. But in my mind, that's where I, that's the spot, that's the sweet spot in which I would like to be whenever I can possibly get there. Um, now, we all know that they're called flow experiences and they tend to be fairly rare because it requires a lot of preparation and that some of that preparation is simply just a, a a background of good health which means feeling well and have a state of well-being to begin with uh having good sleep and uh having a good diet and all that stuff uh and so that's in the flow as well. So that has to be taken care of. So there's a, there's a body-mind aspect to all this, which has really nothing to do with, uh, say, artificial intelligence. You know, artificial intelligence is now being sold as the cure-all for everything. We could just apply it, uh, artificial intelligence to intelligence to everything but it's it's not necessary I think what we need is a nice uh, state of well-being and then the flow process 
can write on top of that.